0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid, I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. And my guest is Wayne Pashley, the owner and co-founder of Big Bang Sound Design, and who on Elvis is credited as re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor. Wayne, welcome to Below the Line. Thank you so much, Skid. It's great to be here. Good on you. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. A warning for listeners, first, today's conversation may contain spoilers for the film. Now, Wayne, I know you have had a long and rich history working with Baz Luhrmann. Tell me a little about that.
1: Wow. yeah, we go actually back to Baz's first film, which was Strictly Ballroom. And, uh, and which was actually fantastic, because right now I noticed that the um, uh, the Academy Theatre Museum, uh, they're running Strictly Ballroom, um, either this week or next week, yeah, where they've uh, restored it with a 4K version. So that's great. So, you know, um, my history goes back to there. And it was his first film. I remember getting quite nervous at uh, meeting Baz because I'd just seen the movie. It was on... I think five VHS tapes where the editor had sent me the, the movie and I could not wait to change the tapes over. It was so engrossing and uh, such an incredible thing. I'd never seen anything quite like it. So I kind of uh, went into the meeting with Baz to see you know, if he liked me and all that stuff. And uh, anyway, we got along like a house on fire. His energy was unbelievable, you know, and he, his passion and all that and so theatrical. And so it was like kind of right up my alley. And so we uh, started launching into the film. And uh, one of my first sort of major sort of experiences with him was I was actually recording a loop group, which is uh, the crowd stuff in a, in a controlled environment. We're in, in, uh, in a big um, uh, recording stage. And um, Baz turned up. And not only did he start directing the crowds, but he actually threw himself into the crowds and lent his voice to it. It was extraordinary. Cause you've got to remember too, that Baz uh, was an actor first, you know? So it, he's very, very good with actors and his ability to get what he needs from cast members is I reckon was certainly one of the best I've ever worked with, you know? And um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun and, you know, uh, nobody knew where, where a film about ballroom dancing was going to land, you know, who's who's it for and all that stuff. And um, anyway, the rest is history. And so, yeah, it goes back 30 years. Subsequently, you know, was here we are on Elvis. <laughs> Well, certainly when people think about uh, his collection
0: of work, the role of music and sound and how that ties in with the visual language is a huge part of it. But I'd like to hear from you and your perspective, what's unique about working
1: on Baz's projects. Baz is a master storyteller. You know, there's a lot of people that would say, oh, Baz Loom is too much for me, blah, blah, blah. He cuts too rapidly and, you know, one thing and another. But, you know, honestly, he's he, he such a risk taker. And honestly, I would say that his passion and his innovation and vision is just extraordinary. And um, he comes in with such love for the project. I tell you what, you've got to do your research because he takes on like enormous subject matters, you know, and he obviously he loves a good, you know, uh, romance and a tragedy, very much into that. So, but it's research, research, research. So every, every part of the project, whether you're in, you know, production design or costumes or, you know, uh, props or sound or music, you've got you've to um, make sure that you're doing it with authenticity, but also everything has to be in harmony. That's the thing. He will expect you to be looking for the unexpected sounds as well and to use those as transitions or creating the world where the characters reside. So, you know, honestly, it's all about joining HIP with the editorial department in post-production, certainly, and the music department that he expects you to be as one. I'll never forget when he had a a vision for, you know, during Gatsby to have like post-production in the round. (laughs) So he wanted to have, if, if it was possible, to have like a, a theater in the round where you had like these pieces of the pie around the stadium where you had visual effects, editing, sound, music, where he could just swing in a chair. And that concept, <laughs> you know, that concept is kind of pretty out there, but it's, it's an idea that we try to do with what yeah, the technology allows now. So sound design, music are a singular vision in all of his films that's sort of the the top of the tree uh he will um look for a sonic architecture that is equal to the vision and it's an immense challenge at at times honestly because you never want to stay on one idea either you're constantly thinking okay everything's got to move a little bit like a relay race where the baton is handing to the next idea you're weaving and woven throughout the story and what the character's emotions are doing. Because honestly, you you can have a reality in an authentic sort of situation, but it's all about the visceral situation. It's about the feel. And if he's feeling it and he's being emotionally driven, that's key. And that is everything you're looking for when you, you sign up on a Baz project.
0: Now with Elvis, you have an iconic music figure and you also have this sort of period of time that we're talking about. Sound design was clearly involved from the very beginning. Talk to me about some of the specific aspects of how that played out on this movie.
1: Well, Baz does write a lot of Sonic ideas within the script, number one. So when uh, I had my first meeting with him, I hadn't read the script at that stage, by the way, and he came to the studio here and we sat down and he started to uh, pitch through the film right and I was like you know engrossed and just going wow yeah because let me just sort of say that Elvis for me you know is kind of like a full circle I grew up loving his films loving his music you know and as a kid I mean I remember the day he died very very well and I was in high school and it was such a shock to everybody and so so sad you know so this this sort of situation where Baz told me he was going to look at him making a film after Great Gatsby, he was going to start looking into doing this as a project. I was so excited. And here we are um, sitting in a room and he's kind of pitching the movie. And as he's talking and I hadn't read the script, um, I could see Baz mentally taking on the sonic qualities as he was speaking. Because obviously he had a lot of other things to consider. Whilst at that part of the production, you know, he'd written the script and dealing with all the heads of department and stuff, and all of a sudden he's talking to a sound guy. And what does it mean for Elvis? I was sort of starting to, you know, help him along the way as he was talking. Because I, first of all, I thought we're just taking a part of Elvis's life, just a slice of it. But no, we say, you know, no, we're, we're doing cradle to death. You know, we're doing the whole deal. I couldn't believe it how we were going to do it in two and a half hours. So you know, during his speech, you know we started talking about the authenticity of the vehicles. We all know that Elvis loved his cars. Clearly it was going to be about the music. What does that mean in terms of are we, are we doing playback using Elvis Presley? Uh, or are we doing, you know live? I'd had no idea who Austin Butler was at that time. Colonel Tom Parker uh, was now you know, cast with um, Tom Hanks, who was Colonel Tom Parker. I knew of him, but had no idea that within the script, he's going to be the unreliable narrator as it were. And we talked about the crowds because the crowds were paramount to the story and how that was going to affect Elvis Presley as a character. And, and ultimately, the question remains, was it his love for us and our love for him that ultimately killed him? That, that, that was the first step. The music, the cars, I've got to talk to the composer, which I did the following week, um, Elliot Wheeler, and we sat down and had lunch and talked about what he was planning. So this was the very early days. And of course, then, you know, with all the all the sort of excitement towards that, then of course the pandemic hit um, in a big way with Tom Hanks getting sick. And at that point, we uh, thought the film may never happen. It was shooting up in um, the Gold Coast in Queensland, north of Sydney. You know, there's a border there between Queensland and New South Wales. And all of a sudden, I couldn't get up to Queensland for a period. Tom Hanks went home with Rita and um, no one knew what was gonna happen. And so the, the, it was literally, I think, three or four days out from shooting when this happened. And then Warner Brothers basically put a lock on all the on all the sound stages because all the sets were built. And uh, yeah, and if it, honestly, if it wasn't for Austin Butler, who basically said to the studio, "I'm not moving. I'm staying. I've done all this work, sort of getting into Elvis Presley spiritually and the accent and movement and everything else, that he didn't want to just throw that away." You know, they wanted him to go back to California, but he actually stayed. And I think the fact that this film was made is a lot due to the fact that, you know, he dug his heels in. So that was great. And, of course, then we didn't know what was going to happen with Tom because once he you, you got well, what's his schedule going to be like, et cetera. So then we got into it. Tom came back, the locks came off the sound stages, and we were on. And this was, this was the big deal. So now it was real. Now we had to start really digging into the life of Elvis Presley. I've got a wonderful crew here that I've worked with, some of them for, in fact, 30 years or more, some of them. I mean, uh, and all of us dug deep books about Elvis's life, biographies and things, and immersed ourselves with all the all the posters around our walls and covered ourselves and got into total immersion over the, the period of the production. So it was a great deal of fun, you know. Um, I mean, I could go into specifics mm-hmm. with... Uh, with meeting Austin for the first time, we did some um, sound tests. Now, we had this uh, wonderful production sound mixer, David Lee had set up uh, uh, not only PA systems and everything else, but he had a 32 channel recorder. We went, uh, we had a very basic set built up in Queensland. Uh, We had camera there with Mandy Walker and we had the music department and I walked uh, uh, onto the stage there, met Austin for the first time. We had the uh, uh, a Shure fifty five microphone set up, like from the fifties, so the real deal. And but first of all, we wanted to check basically the technical sync: how is sync going to work through the process to the camera? And and we started with playback. So um, Austin had an in ear piece, and we played back a track from the music department through David Lee's rig into into uh, Austin's ears and he basically mined and that um, that in itself proved to be fantastic okay done then we decided to go uh, playback and record Austin live now at this point I didn't know how well he could sing (laughs) so he we recorded then uh, um, Austin and the playback so we had both the ability to use Austin's vocal or Elvis's vocal. That was that. Baz turned up around lunchtime and said, okay, now I want you to go live. And I want you to bring in live musicians, bring in the double bass, bring in the drums, uh, bring in guitarists, and we're gonna go live. And we're gonna see what happens. So boom, well, now we're micing up everything. In came the musos. And um, and he he recorded, I think, Bliss White Shoes, at the time, what it was. And I honestly got to tell you, I felt like I just witnessed Elvis Presley live. It was amazing. At the end of the day, Baz came to me and said, we are going to do more live than not on this film. That changed everything. I (laughs) can imagine. I'm sure it upped Austin's um, uh, anxiety level. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how it all started. And and, and then we just started going down the road. We had an incredible... Props department, you know, obviously doing all the, all the, uh, the props for the, the sets of Graceland's and, uh, and you know, uh, the international and all those things. But we had this musical props department that started scouring the world for all the, the, the real deal stuff. The microphones, the amps, the guitars, the basses, the drums, everything was um, bought in and completely authentic. Uh, with the microphones we uh, the, the the guys they had them all restored so all primo working so you know, from the 50s 60s and 70s you know they were all working um, and that's what we recorded with yeah so that that's that's sort of the beginnings of, of the tale you know and how we started and started going down the road of, of building it. Wayne, I wanted to ask you about how all of that applies to
0: a couple of specific scenes. And you really take us with you in sort of your approach and what your challenges are with that. And I think let's start with the Hayride sequence, which is also Elvis's introduction.
1: Sure. Uh, Look, you know, uh, just to state uh, Baz's overall sound design strategy, he basically said to me at that very first meeting, we are making the great American operatic tragedy. And he said, the most important thing is we have to protect Elvis's legacy. So that was that. So carrying that forward with a scene like the Hayride sequence and in the introduction of Elvis, it was huge. Now, the thing is with Baz, he shoots kind of, um, you know, kind of traditionally in a way. Like you've got the, the multi-camera setups and all that stuff. So you're filming the entire performance with, with you know, several times you know, but but what you see in post is very much worked in post he he uh, adds and 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 sometimes goes way too far he'll admit that and then he'll pull back but the editorial process was is very very iterative and that includes the graphic guys and the, the um, and girls and the you know the um uh, all, all the all the visual effects and all that stuff so it's this um, this merge of all art forms, and he does throw everything at it. And look, he basically wanted this to be an audiovisual wonder. Uh, the introduction, for example, of the of the comic book to help truncate the story about Elvis's father writing a bad check, going to jail. Uh, the fact that, that he was one of a of a twin, uh, he was the surviving twin, and how you know he uh, his mother. Gladys felt that he had the heart of two men. All that stuff, that was a very late idea because ultimately what Baz started with was a four and a half hour cut of the film that he called The Kitchen Sink. So it's all in. and But ultimately we had to get it down to, to two and a half hours or whatever it is now, 240 or something. And so then he started going to the, the next edit, which he called The Bone Breaker. Now, The Bone Breaker is the beginning of this iteration, where you're constantly chasing, constantly chasing the, the visual language. And as it's developing and things like the comic book went, went in, split screens are starting to go in, fast cutting is happening, um, all that sort of stuff. So you you, you, you you know, throughout the process, chasing and chasing and developing and building and building. With a, with a, a scene like the Hay Ride, we had to establish Tupelo quickly, Tupelo, Mississippi, and get the feel of young Elvis's um, desire and as the as the Colonel states his superpower, which was music. So from the r and that he's hearing in the Shake Shack through to the Pentecostal church and gospel, uh, we're now looking at a fusion of music and a fusion of environments. So we're going from Tupelo to the backstage of the hayride where he's nervous and having to go on stage. So we're, we're building, we're building, we're building and of course his first performance. One of the big things that was going to to be revealed here is the uh, love of the audience and primarily the women and the sex because that was the beginning of something very, very special in the world, not only of music, but in a cultural revolution. Uh, No one had ever seen anything quite like it. You had this kind of somewhat androgynous figure turn up in the South who was wearing mascara and a pink suit in in conservative South where they're used to country music at the Hayride and all of a sudden this guy comes on board. Sonically, the screaming was really, really important and the build of the energy and the hunger of these women and the men, you know, um, for for this guy. What happened there was there was 500 extras and uh out of those five hundreds, um, Baz plucked out some of the best screamers. Now, <laughs> now that they were they were then uh they went to class and they were called the scream queens. And they learned how to scream like for several days, you know, learned how to scream, keep up the energy, not blow their voices. And that's a, that's actually you know a challenge in itself, I've got to tell you. And With uh, screams, you know, we kind of dug around in our libraries, you know, after, you know, we've got lots of libraries that we've built and and recorded over the years, a sexual scream for Elvis Presley is not a scream that you would just get out of a library because they tend to be just like horrific or horror sort of based. So that build of that screaming and, and, and within the musical infrastructure was really important. And the, the 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 weaving of that and building that energy, plus you've got the voiceover of Colonel Tom Parker, and then the musical infrastructure, taking it from a 50s feel into a modern feel where young audiences who are watching it can get a, a, a feeling of what it might have been like for those people in the fifties, you know, that, that gives a derivative for now that, that allows a younger audience to sort of take it on and see how extraordinary Elvis Presley really was. So that was a gigantic one, one of the biggest. And of course we had to record um, all the, uh, the gospel church parishioners as well, uh, that uh, singing Come Fly Away. The Come Fly Away theme was pretty big in the whole film, actually, because it was kind of thematically what it was about, like Elvis flying away, flying, you know, to become a superstar and then wanting to fly away and have peace in his life. It was a bit of an overall theme. As you've described it, Wayne, that hayride Sequence is is really
0: trying to accomplish a lot. And then through sound to all these various aspects, the introduction, uh, his place in history, Another scene that strikes me interesting from a sound perspective, and maybe it's a little more focused and a little more intense, is the Rustwood sequence where Elvis yeah. is singing Trouble and we're talking about segregation and there's police. and Talk to me more about how that came together.
1: Well, that was, um, again, the whole scene was shot pretty well regular. We had, you know, again, about 600 crowd. You know, addition of the Vice Squad came quite late. In fact, Baz did pick up shoots of those, you know, officials with their cameras and things, because at the end of the day, it was about the fear of the from the colonel's perspective. And would Elvis play ball? From the threat that he's now been discovered, the the colonel's been discovered as a, a, an alien, and and if you don't control your client, we are gonna throw him in jail because of of um, the segregation laws being you know, not adhered to. So it became uh, the first real political situation uh, before Elvis got drafted off to Germany. So basically the focus was the song. It was Trouble. It was uh, Austin performing live. It was him singing, the whole thing. The crowds had to be huge, yet not, as Baz said, he kept saying, we don't want to get... um, uh, like overcrowded all the time, you know. So that was a bit of a that was a bit of a shape thing that was was happening there all the time. But of course, now there's the introduction of the vice squad and the dangers that are now involved in this riotous crowd. That scene actually was going to have the stage collapse as well at the end it did, because it was actually taken. It was actually a real concert in in Canada at, um, when uh, in Elvis's time, where the stage did did collapse through rioting teenagers and of course you had the segregation lines being crossed so crowd wise we had recorded all the crowds you know authentically from the south and all that sort of thing and then when it when the music sort of turns into the dangers of it I we were in lockstep with the music department so from all the black and white shots the cameras the cameras the cameras the the dangers and all that sort of stuff that we were building to was once again you know heavily designed over many months as it, as it built and the the edit kept changing the scene came down in length as well to push the energy through because it was quite long at one one point yeah another another major undertaking but mainly looking through it from the lens of the, the kernel with this one sort of trying to make that 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 story work at that time what we did also with Baz's style, having to cut down a four and a half hour film to two and a half, he had to truncate all these sequences. What he was doing, he, he, he termed the phrase poetic glue. And using everything at his disposal from, from fast editing, through graphics, through wipes and all that sort of thing, musical transitions, sound transitions to keep the energy, keep it pushing forward, Uh, he asked us to start looking at um, a way of making the montage heavy narrative work in a sound design sense. So what we did was we took the poetic glue aspect and now we've uh, we coined the phrase sonic glue. What we did there was we took real quotes, real commentary, real headlines and recorded cast members recording real life quotes. With that, we then poured that into the sound design, into the, um, the backgrounds or the atmospherics of the room. They're swirling and they're transitional through all the heavy narrative areas. So you don't necessarily hear every line, but the commentary is based on the period of time and the authentic sort of uh, headlines and commentary of, of the time. So with that, it really helped, I think, because it helped push through all the transitions as they were going forward, and basically setting a political tone, you know, um, for each of the the narrative beats throughout the film. So they're kind of everywhere from the very beginning, as we start in the '90s with uh, the Colonel having had a heart attack and him coming on and revealing himself as the uh, as he was now on a morphine trip, you know, to try to to tell us that he didn't kill Elvis Presley. But within that infrastructure you'll hear voices you know from biographies of colonel tom parker and and headlines and things basically saying that this is the man that that killed Elvis presley so it's going against everything that he was saying in order to to increase the drama and increase the anxiety that he was feeling
0: well it's a film i enjoyed when i saw it i'm going to look forward to listening to it again wayne great having you here we're going to call it a wrap but thanks so much for your time today
1: Thank you so much, Skid. I really appreciate you inviting me on. It's fantastic. Good idea.
0: Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, below the line, oneword.biz. That's B I C. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Wayne, where
1: are we going to hear your work next? Um, right now, believe it or not, I'm actually working on another Baz Lemon project. Uh, he's taking the film Australia with Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. So we've dug it out of archives, and Baz has turned it into a six-part miniseries that will be screened on Hulu. <laughs> all of the stuff that was once in the film is now in. And the, the, the new six-part miniseries it is called Far Away Downs. Wayne,
0: I will watch for that. Uh, let me put some closing credits in here. Thanks to Curtis 5 for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast and tell your friends. Thanks again from below the line.